Welcome to Action Church. Man, it feels good to gather, man. Last week it was fun to gather. It feels good to gather. Today I think that it's nice to be getting the initial steps of some sense of normalcy going. I, I do think that we need to be respectful of other people, and let me remind you to do that today. Different people are at different stages with this, so don't go up and start just randomly hugging on people, high-fiving people. Be respectful of wherever they're at in this journey. The same thing for those that are not with us. So many people keep messaging me through private message and um, almost apologizing that they're not comfortable to come to church. You don't owe me an apology if you're not comfortable to come to church. We don't ever want to put anybody in any type of weird position. Those of us that are comfortable to gather together today are going to gather together today. We're going to practice social distancing. We are blessed. We're one of the few churches that is able to do this. We're a smaller church with a big building, and we've taken precautions. Speedy and I have been down here throughout the week. I've even actually been getting my own hands dirty, so you know we're taking it serious, and uh, disinfecting chairs, bathrooms, making sure that this section of the building is as clean as possible, and thank you guys for that. We're in the second week of a series that we've been calling the dash and, and talking about that little bitty dash that will be on your tombstone that goes right between the day you were born and right between the day that you die. And I think if there's ever a time in my lifetime that we were more focused on the possibility of life and death, there's no other time like it is right now. There's so many people that many of us know that have passed away during this time. We know people that have had people that are loved ones that have passed away. I've done numerous funerals over the last month, and we can debate all day long about the numbers of this. The bottom line is there's a lot of people whose mind right now is on death. And what a miserable way to live for your mind to be on death instead of your mind being on living we emphasize the day we were born. We emphasize the day somebody passes away. But everything that we do and everything that we accomplish and everything that we achieve, good and bad, wrong and right, gets summed up in very simply the dash. The dash tells your story. The dash tells the purpose that you've lived. The dash tells what's important to you and what's not important to you. And I'm here today to tell you that at the end of your life, you're not going to worry about a lot of the things that you worry about today. This last Thursday, I went and sat with my grandmother. They had told her she had about 10 days to live. I had not seen her in a while, especially because of the virus. I had really not seen her in a while. And so I went to see her. She ended up passing away yesterday morning. And, and I'm glad that I took that opportunity Thursday to go sit with my grandmother. Some of my family waited till yesterday and, and didn't get the opportunity to sit with her. And as I sat there talking to her, it was amazing as she reflected over her life she brought up several things. One of her favorite stories, I don't know that I should say this on a podcast. One of her favorite stories is, this is my grandmother, uh, we got kids in here. One of my grandmother's favorite stories is that before he was famous, she met Elvis. Met Elvis. And um, man, she loved that story. She was proud of that story that she met Elvis in a little bitty bar in Tennessee and met Elvis. And man, she told that story all the time. And last Thursday, she says, you know I met Elvis. And I said, well, I've only heard this story 500 million times in my life. But yes, you met Elvis. And I'll never forget what she said Thursday. She said, sometimes you just gotta live. What a great story. 
And I asked her what she wanted to do and what, because again, we thought she had about a week and a half and my mom was coming down to move her in with her and, and she said, I'm gonna make chocolate cake and I'm gonna enjoy time with the grandkids and I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do that. And you know what she didn't say? She didn't say, man, I wanna go out and work and I wanna go have more toys and I wanna go make more money. Not that there's anything wrong with any of those things. But the reality is, is when she was summing up her dash, her priorities had changed. And so we asked the question last week, if you had 30 days to live, and then I changed that question because I said, man, if we had 30 days to live, we would go into lockdown mode and spend it all with family and maybe unrealistic. I said, if you had five years to live, five years, you still have to go to work. You still got to do things. You still have to do things that we don't want to do. But if you had five years to live, what would you do with those five years? What would you do with the dash that you have. The Bible says this in Jeremiah 1, 5. It says, before you were formed in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. What you need to understand today is before you were ever born, God had a purpose for your dash. God had a plan for your dash. God had a story that he was writing with your life, and it gets summed up in the dash I mean, think about the power of that for just one moment. The God of the universe, the one who spoke everything into existence, the one who looked out in Genesis chapter 1 and saw nothing and formed everything. That God created you and has a plan for your, for your life. Before you were born, before you were formed, before your mommy and daddy did whatever they did, before they met Elvis... God knew you, and he set you apart for a purpose and a plan. The Bible says this in Jeremiah 29. God says, for I know the plans that I have for you. I have plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope. Man, we live in a day and time where the world could use a little bit of hope. Somebody say amen. amen. We live in a day and time where we're just racked with fear. We live in a day and time where you can't flip on the news or listen to the radio. You can't get on social media and everything is fear, fear, fear. I'm not even saying that some of it is not justified. I'm just simply saying God is not the author of fear. He says, I've come that you may have hope and a future. God has a plan for your life. God wants to see you achieve greatness. God desires for us to live a life of purpose. God, God wants us to live a life that when we get out of bed in the morning and our feet hit the ground, man, all the world quakes because they know there's somebody on mission. He, he desires for us to live a life that makes Satan tremble. You say, Gary, but you don't know about me. I, no, no, I don't need to know about you. I don't care what you've been through, what you've done what you're involved in now. I don't care about the mess you're gonna make in the future. The reality is, is God has a plan for your life. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't need do-overs. You didn't catch God by surprise. I tell people all the time, you might have caught mommy and daddy by surprise. You didn't catch God by surprise. He knew you before you were formed in the womb. He set you apart. And in a group like this today, there's some people out there and you're going through some things in life and you feel like your life is hopeless. You feel like you have no purpose. It's not on the plan that you set out for your life. If you wanna make God laugh, though, tell him your plans. 
God, I didn't think my marriage would go this way. I didn't think my parenting would go this way. I didn't think my career would go this way. I didn't think my life would do this or do that. And God says, hey, I've got a plan for your life. I've got a purpose for your life. I have a passion for your life. I want you to make the most of the dash. But so many of us just live life going through the motions, especially when we, in our mind, screw up this life we were created for. We screw it up over a couple of days or a couple of months and then beat ourselves up for a decade. We go into hibernation thinking that we're worthless and God says, I have a plan for your life. I set you apart. I've given you a hope and I've given you a future. Life is so precious. The Bible says in James 4.14, what is your life? My grandmother was 87 years old. I said to her the other day, I said, man, 87 years. I said, you've lived 87 years. And I said, if it's time for you to move on, what an awesome 87 years. And she looked at me and she said, man, I feel like I blinked and it was gone. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. To put that in Gary Lamb terms that we understand, you are a vape that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Seen, ever seen somebody vape? They blow the smoke out and instantly it's gone. In the grand scheme of the universe, that's our life. Even when you've lived 87 years. Life is so fragile, life is so precious, there are no do-overs. So my question throughout this series, my question for those of you who can't watch online today, but you're listening to the podcast later today, is what are you doing with your dash? Are you making the most of this incredible thing called life? Are you living a story that's worth telling are you changing the narrative for those around you because they see you grabbing a hold of life when most people never live life? I've shared with you before, I can always tell we have a unique ministry here at this church that many of you don't even realize we have. We have the effed up pastor ministry. And what that means is, is I effed my life up in a very public way 11 years ago. And so what that means is anytime another pastor F's up their life, the only place they feel comfortable coming is here. And I can spot them when they get out of their car in the parking lot. Because most of the time, they have their image of what church should be. They're the ones that normally come in and they have dockers on and a polo shirt on. And they look like they should be on the golf course and nothing against the golf course. It just doesn't normally seem to be the vibe at Action Church on Sunday. And their head... It's looking at the ground, and they're not making eye contact with anybody. And nine times out of ten, I can look at Christine and say, that guy's a pastor somewhere. And they'll walk in, and I'll say something to them, and I'll be like, how you doing? I'm Gary. How you doing? I'm so-and-so. Until last week, I was the pastor at this church or that church, and I did X, Y, and Z. And it's funny. They feel like their life is over. They feel helpless. 
And over the years, we've been operating now for almost eight years. I, I probably, we have probably, unbeknownst to you, have had probably 30 to 35 different former pastors attending this church at one time or another. Because they don't feel like they can attend any other church. They know they can come here and be loved and be accepted. But every time they come in the doors, and Grady, you know Grady, Grady preaches when I'm not here. Grady was one of those pastors, and Grady's been the one that was just dumb enough to hang around for a long, long time. I look at him and say, man, I hate to hear what you've gone through, but God's not done with you. And how they respond to that statement lets me know if they get it or not. That quick, in that instant, I can tell whether they're going to rebound from this failure or this failure is going to define them because that's what happens to failure. Your mess can become your greatest ministry or your mess can become what defines your life. And those that look at me and say, man, you're right, I know they're going to capitalize on the dash. I know that they know they're going to have to go through a time of repentance and a time of restoration, but they're willing to do whatever it takes to get back on the horse and go after that thing called life, go after that thing called the dash and make the most of it. There are no do-overs, and every day that you waste the dash, you're wasting one of the most valuable gifts you have. It's called life. Man, what an amazing gift. I love life. That doesn't mean I don't go through funks. doesn't mean I don't go through hard times. But man, I love life. I'm thankful for life. I'm passionate about life. I want to grasp it for every moment. But so many times we spend our life in the bottle. We spend our life trying to medicate. We spend our life in drama. Hello, we spend our life in drama. We spend our life arguing on social media instead of living life. The amazing thing called the dash. So over the next few weeks, we're just talking about some characteristics of a life well lived. Last week, we talked about this subject. Those who love life live passionately. They live passionately. They, they ring life for everything that it's worth. And you can go to actionchurch.tv and you can listen to the podcast if you choose to do so, if you miss that sermon. Today I want to dig a little bit deeper and tell you what I think is the next characteristic of a life that is well lived. You live passionately and you love completely. You love completely. I didn't want to preach on this subject today because I feel like a Last month when we were doing the live feeds, I preached a lot about loving people. But you can't get away from this. A life without love is a life that hasn't lived. If you don't love, and I'm not, listen, listen, you heard me say this a thousand times, love is a very generic word in the English language. In the Bible, there's different words for the word. There's a passionate sexual husband and wife love. That's one of the loves I'm talking about, but it's not the only love. There's a friendship love. There's a brotherhood love. There's a love for mankind love found in the Bible. Those who don't love don't live. I have had the honor, and make no mistake about it, it's an honor. I have had the honor of being in the room with more people than I can count 
as they've taken their last breath. I've had the honor of being in a room for the last hours of people's lives. It's just part of the gig as a pastor. And I've had the honor of being in the room with those who have loved, and it's a powerful moment. The room's filled with people in love. And I've been in the room as people died alone. And I was the only one there where their kids didn't want to be there and their family members didn't want to be there and they had no friends because they lived their life without love. Trust me, at the end of your life, you're going to want to know you lived passionately and that you loved completely. And love seems like such a simple thing, but I'm telling you today, it is a missing ingredient in our society. We have no clue what love is. We have so much emphasis on hate and so much emphasis on being right and so much emphasis on putting others down where we feel better about ourselves, but we suck at love. Get on Facebook. You literally can't have an opinion about anything without the hate mongers coming out. Oh, BTW, that's on both sides of the fence. That's not a red thing versus blue thing. That's on both sides of the fence. That's not a Christian thing versus non-Christian thing. It's on both sides of the fence. That's not a black thing versus white thing. It's on both sides of the fence. That's not a older thing versus younger thing. It's on both sides of the fence. We are a hate-filled society. We love if you look like we think you ought to love, you act like we think you ought to act, you believe like we think you ought to believe, you dress like we think you ought to dress, and if you're different in every way, we literally live a life of hate. And I gotta be honest with you, love completely doesn't come easy. There's been some times over the last five or six weeks that I've had to battle loving some people. I've had to battle loving some people very, very close to me because I had to realize, you know what, they're entitled to their opinion because they see their opinion through their worldview just like I do. I'm going to get into how you reverse that into this sermon. But if you don't love, you don't live. <laughs> More people in society know what we're against instead of what we're for. And the church is the king of that. The church is the king of that. I remember going to a conference one time to speak in my previous life, and it was me and another gentleman speaking. And they came up to the other gentleman because the other gentleman was kind of known as just kind of a negative-style preacher. And they said, hey, man, just lift up the people today. This is what the, the pastor who had brought us in. He said, just lift up the people and encourage them today. It was his nice way of saying, hey, don't be such a jerk. And that preacher being a smart looker said, well, there's a lot of positive things in the Bible. I'll never forget the pastor of the church that brought us in. He said, yeah, but I've never heard you preach on any of them. Man, we're, we, the world knows what we're against. A few weeks ago, I taught on the Good Samaritan. If you were watching online, it was a story that Jesus taught on how to love other people. Today, I don't want to look at a story that Jesus told. I want to look at a story that Jesus lived out. 
I can tell you a story or I can show you my life by example. I can practice what I preach. And in this story, Jesus practiced what he preached. You need to understand something. Uh, 2,000 years ago, Jesus lived in a very different time than the time that we live in. His world was almost entirely Jewish. He lived in a day and time where community was everything. Your tribe was everything. Your village was everything. The group, your city was everything. Family was everything. Individuals really didn't exist apart from their families. Nowadays, we live in a day and time when the kids grow up and many times the kids move away. That was not the custom in this thing. Emily went to a friend's house the other day and they had a lot of land and on the land, five or six or seven different family members had built on this land. And in our day and time, I looked at Christian and I said, this is weird. She said, I think it's awesome. I said, I think it's horrible. She said, why would you think that? I said, I don't want your brother living on the same piece of land as me. You don't like my brother? I said, sure, but I don't want him living on my land. Well, it wouldn't be my land. It would be our land. Yeah, I don't want to have land with him. And then she's like, and then I said, I don't want your dad. She goes, you and my dad get along great. I said, but I don't live on the same piece of land as your dad. And I said, I love my kids. But when they turn 18, I want them to come eat dinner and leave in their car. Not walk across the street where I got to hear them and see the grandkids every single day. Sounded horrible to me. Sounded amazing to her. But what Emily's friend had is what everybody in this day and time had. You grew up and you lived around your family. Your family was life. It was just a different person. All a person had really was their family, was their clan, was their tribe. And when you lost your family, you lost everything. When Jesus turns 30, he gathers a group of disciples together and he begins walking from town to town in Israel, preaching the gospel. And as he walked, the crowds grew larger and larger and larger. And one day, as Jesus and his followers are approaching a city, there's a, they're walking into the city and a funeral procession is walking out of the city. And the Bible says it like this in Luke 7. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nan, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As they approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. Don't miss all this. I'm going to break it down for you to show you the importance of this. The only son of his mother, and she was also a widow. So her only son has died, and her husband has died. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bear. They were carrying him on, and the bear stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to walk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Amen. They were all filled with awe and praising God, and a great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people, and the news about Jesus began to spread throughout Judea and all the surrounding country. Picture the scene with me. And then I'm going to give you some very practical tips today, and we're going to go home. Jesus is heading into a town. He's got his crowd with him, the people who have decided to follow Jesus. They're mesmerized by his teaching. It's a large crowd. 
as they're coming into the town. Now remember, most towns in this day were surrounded by a wall, so they would have been going towards the gate to get into the city. Maybe they were going to stay for the night, they were going to get some food, going to get some water from the well that would have been in that town, and as they're approaching the gate, outside of the gate is a group of people walking in a funeral procession. These two crowds are about to collide. The streets in this day and time were not made for that kind of traffic, so it would have been a very awkward situation. This is a horrible day for this lady. Don't miss this. Her son, her only son, has died. The greatest joy for a Jewish woman was to bear a son. To be able to carry on your husband's name was a sense of pride and accomplishment for women in this time. To lose a son would have been their greatest sorrow. To only have one son and lose that son would have been a near-death experience for this lady. But it's not the first time she's buried a loved one. The Bible says she's also a widow. This is key. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. This is key. She has no son. She has no husband. What this meant in that day and time in every sense of the word, was that she was destined to live a life of poverty. She had no husband to take care of her. I get it, it's 2020, ladies. You don't need a man. I get it. That was not the culture 2,000 years ago. There was no husband to take care of her. There was no son to take care of her. She couldn't go get a receptionist job. She wasn't going to become the CEO of a company. She couldn't go out and start selling real estate. She couldn't go out and do, she couldn't go out and be a police officer. Whatever it was, she was now destined to a life of no hope. In every sense of the word, by the standards of this day, her life was over. (laughs) She has lost what is the equivalent of her pension, her Social Security, and her Medicare. Husband has died, son has died. This lady is broken. But what's even more sad is she's not only broken, she's feeling guilty because in this day and time, the premature death of a son in this day and time was believed to be the punishment for the sin of the mother. That's what she was taught. So she's broken, but she's also feeling guilty, feeling like, what did I do that led to the death of my son? I I can just see the town gossips. Mm, You know what she was doing. You know her son died because blah, blah, blah. I know that would never happen at Action Church. Y'all wouldn't gossip about anything. Okay, I know. But this this is what men like the people that go to other churches. They're just flapping that jaw, gossiping about this lady. They're wondering what horrible things she did to be in this position. Now, you need to understand something. The day and time this story's taking place, it's probably evening. It's probably evening because they would have had the funeral after everybody got off work because everybody in the community would have come to this funeral because that's how they lived. They lived in community. Earlier that day, she had laid her son out on the floor of her house, dressed him in his best clothes, and placed his body in an open wicker basket. And now the town has gathered at her door. Now, here's what she would have been made to do. The procession that's leading out of town, she would have had to lead the procession. You know why? Because she was sinful and she had to lead the sin out of the town. She can't even mourn. She's broken and guilt-ridden. 
She can't mourn the loss of her child because she has to walk in shame to carry the sin that she brought into the town out of the town. Imagine the emotions this woman's going through. She's embarrassed. <laughs> there probably would have been about 500 people, theologians agree, in this town. So there would have been about 500 people coming out of the town with her. That's a pretty good crowd. As they get to the road, though, there's another crowd coming towards them, and the Bible says their crowd was bigger than the crowd leaving. So it was bigger than the funeral crowd. So the crowd leaving was 500 people. Chances are the crowd that Jesus had was about 1,000. So 1,500 people are about to collide in the road. There's no way for them to avoid each other. And I can imagine this lady's thinking, great. Now these 1,000 people see I'm leading this procession. These 1,000 people know of my sin. She's even more embarrassed as the time comes. <laughs> It's a huge crowd, and the crowds meet. And as the crowds meet, Jesus demonstrates the power of loving completely. He stops the procession. He stops the thousand people that are following him. And he brings the boy back to life. He raises this lady's son from the dead and with the words from his mouth he restores hope to her he restore, restores dignity to her he restores respect to her he loved enough to make sure he took time out of his day to demonstrate that love to someone he didn't even know someone he would probably never see again. That is the power of love. He loved completely. I want to break a few things down for you today because there's power in loving. And if you want to make the most of your dash, if you want to make the most between the birth date and the death date, I'm telling you there's no greater influence and no greater um, legacy that you can leave on society than to love people but it's hard to love people because here's what loving completely takes don't miss this it takes intentionality it takes you being intentional about loving it takes you to get outside of yourself and quit worrying about all your problems and all your stresses and everything that's going wrong in your world and don't miss this. It takes you to stop worrying about your inconvenience and loving people like Jesus did. Jesus had a thousand people following him. He was a little bit busy. But he stopped. The first thing I noticed is this. Don't miss this. Don't, this is so powerful. Jesus saw the woman. That's important. I'm going to show you why. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. It's easy to miss. Two crowds are coming together. People of everywhere. There's 1,500 people about to collide. And Jesus sees the broken woman. The hurting woman. I don't know about you, I, I, I probably, the first thing I would have noticed was the boy in the casket. That's what you would have been drawn to. I would have noticed, man, I got to get my thousand people around this 500 people. How do I get my thousand people around this 500 people without being disrespectful to the 500 people? 
Jesus saw the woman. <laughs> you would expect him to notice the boy. I mean, after all, the boy's why the crowd's moving. But Jesus saw the woman. The Bible says when he, the Lord saw her, not the crowd, not the dead boy, the woman. Look what it says. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her. In the midst of his busyness, in the midst of his travel, in the midst of probably being worn out because the fact that matters, the fact that they were getting to this town, mean they had been traveling all day from another town. He was probably exhausted. He was probably ready to get into the town and get something to eat and get some water and maybe lay his head down, have his feet washed. He was ready to make sure the thousand people that were following him were taken care of. But he sees the woman in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the craziness, he sees a woman who in her own right is half dead herself. <laughs> the Hebrews taught that you could be in this state of in between death and life. You were almost a zombie. I would imagine that's what this woman was. She's broken. She's guilt-ridden. She's feeling like she's sinful. And Jesus sees her. They believed you could be physically alive and emotionally dead. And I believe that's where this woman was. No husband, no son. He sees this. And he can see the hurt in her eyes. He, he sees these eyes and these eyes tell a thousand stories. He sees the pain, the hurt, the anguish. He sees the tears. He sees the hopelessness. He sees a woman with no future in the midst of a thousand people, 1,500 people meeting. Jesus sees her. <laughs> and as he sees the hurt, don't miss this, don't miss this. As, oh, that's good preaching if a white boy is doing it. As he sees the hurt, he experiences her pain. When you begin to see people, you begin to see their pain. His heart went out to her. He was moved with compassion. He enters into her world and feels what it's like to be in her place. As you study the life of Jesus, you'll see over and over and over that Jesus saw people in the midst of their busyness. He saw them. Don't miss this. You know why he saw them? Because he was looking for them. You want to know why he saw them? Because he was looking for them. He was looking for people who just simply needed hope and needed love. We know from our reading that he goes on to raise a son from the dead. But we miss why he does it. He said, well, he raised the boy from the dead because the boy was dead. No, no, no. He raised the boy from the dead because he saw the hurt of the mother. Jesus just saw a boy laying in a casket. That mother saw her son laying in the casket. And here's what we need to realize. I haven't used this phrase in a long time. We need to realize that everybody is somebody's somebody. Every person out in our society today is somebody to somebody. It's easy for us to get on a rampage, and it's easy for us to get on a thing. The, man, the crowd that thinks you should wear a mask makes fun of the crowd that thinks you shouldn't wear a mask, and the crowd that doesn't wear a mask makes fun of the crowd that does wear a mask, and we argue over the stupidest stuff. We're arguing over a mask. Instead of stepping back and putting ourselves in the other person's shoes, why do they feel the way they feel? And then we chalk it up, well, I feel that way because the media told them, maybe. 
Or maybe they have a loved one who's sick and they feel like that's what they can do to help. Amen. Saw someone the other day walking into the store and started arguing with the lady at the door about a mask. Of all the stupid stuff you can argue about. And I thought to myself, why are you yelling at a lady, a kid, that probably makes $8 an hour who is simply doing what they've been told to do at their job? Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't want to wear the mask. But I'm not going to sit there and argue with the person at the door. Instead, I'm going to, st- I-, I hope, <laughs> I hope I'm not always good at this. I hope I'm going to step back and say, man, there's a teenage kid. And that teenage kid really don't know what's going on in our society today. And his worldview is probably shaped by whatever his parents' worldview is. And even if it's not shaped by what his, his parents' worldview is, he's shaped by what his employer's telling him to do because he's been told to listen to his boss. Does this teenage kid want to have to confront me as an adult? I'm sure he's scared to death right now. I'm about a foot taller than him. I can give a snirk like nobody's business. My jaw can get tight and my eyes can get... And I imagine I could scare this kid out or I could step back and breathe and realize, man, this kid probably has a grandmother somewhere who's scared to death. Like that. (laughs) Scared to death that their child is out working today. That lady at that cash register line that you're getting irritated about because she's moving a little bit slow. She's moving a little bit slow, but she's probably a single mom who has kids, and she's worried, man, if I catch this and I take it home to my kids, how am I going to provide for my family? I get it's frustrating. King of getting frustrated, am I? But what would happen if we step back and we just put ourselves in the other shoes. I have about four people who attend this church that anytime I post anything, they send me a direct message thinking I'm talking about them, almost apologizing that they're not at church. All four of them sent a message. I said, do not apologize to me again. When you're comfortable to return to church, return to church. If you're not comfortable to return to church for another year, don't return to church for another year. You think I'm going to look at those people and tell them they're stupid because they're scared? You think I'm going to make fun of them because they have anxiety? You think I'm going to talk down to them and guilt them into coming to church when they don't feel like that? Just because I have a different view on it? Absolutely not. I'm going to step back and I'm going to put myself in their shoes. I've been going to the same counselor for 10 years. You go to a counselor all the time. Trust me, you don't want to see me without a counselor. And one of the things I think Christine and I both have learned from going to a counselor is, our counselor says, put yourself in the other person's shoes. It changes your perspective. You begin to love when you're in their shoes. That doesn't mean you have to agree with them. Did you know you can love people and still disagree? Amazing. Amazing. Jesus is walking along and he sees this mother and he puts himself in her shoes. He sees her hurt, her pain, and his heart goes out to her. What would happen if we slowed our roll a little bit? If we slowed down just enough to see people as somebody's somebody? What, what would happen if we slowed down and 
that addict who's driving you nuts because they won't get clean. But you step back and realize, you know what? They got a mom somewhere who loves them like I love my child. And that mom's probably broken over their activity. That homeless person who chooses to be homeless and continues to make bad decisions, it's easy to be like, man, they're idiots. And they're... But what about that grandmother who's prayed for them every single day? Changes your perspective. I'm glad when I was at my lowest point in life, I had three people, three, not many. I had a lot of fans, three people that showed themselves to be friends and came along and saw me and saw my hurt, self-inflicted, and loved me anyway. The problem is we just get so busy. We see things through our worldview, and there's nothing wrong with our worldview. Let me make that clear. I am dogmatic about my worldview. Dogmatic about it. People ask me, how do you not get mad at these people on Facebook? I don't, because I don't care. You, you ever see me engage them in the comments? Never. Let them post. I know most of the time if they're that far off, Kylie's going to deal with them anyway, and I ain't got to that he gets to be the jerk. Man, they're entitled to their opinions because of their worldview, but we don't see people. We see people, and then we decide based on external things whether we're going to love them or not. We decide whether we're going to love them based on if they fit into our cycle of what we deem worthy enough. <laughs> Check it out. Jesus didn't interview this woman. He, he didn't see if this woman lined up with every belief that he had. He didn't even check to see if maybe the woman was living in sin. He just saw the woman and loved her right where she was. Aren't you glad today that we serve a God that loves us in the midst of our mess? loves us in the midst of our mire, loves us in the midst of our stupidity, man, loves us in the, in the midst of our mess-ups and our screw-ups and our hurting of other people and our selfishness and our lying and our cheating and our deceitfulness because at the end of the day, we're born sinners. You say, I don't, we're born sinners. No, we're, no, no, you're born sinners. You don't teach a newborn kid to lie, and they lie quick. What do you mean they lie? They cry when nothing's wrong with them. They just want you to hold them. But they acting like they're dying, stinking little lying kids. Man, we're born sinful. But Jesus sees us through that. I got to move on. Jesus offers the woman hope. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. I think that's powerful. Don't miss this because I'm going to upset some of you right here who've listened to a lot of psycho babble bull crap. Jesus tells her not to cry. He feels her hurt, but he's, but he's not lost in it. He feels her pain, but he's able to step outside the emotion where she can't step outside of it. He looks at her in the midst of her pain and says, stop crying. We live in a day and time where 
A lot of people say, I even saw theologians that wrote this when I was studying for this message this week. They said Jesus was interrupting her grieving process. <laughs> Today, psychology tells us, tells us that we, we don't have the right to tell someone how to feel. No, there's sometimes we need to come along and tell people how to feel because we're about to offer them hope. They're so deep in their mess, so deep in their sin, so deep in their depression, so deep in what's going on that they can't see the tree or the forest for the tree. And you got to come along and say, hey, stop! But don't just tell them to stop. Then you offer them hope. <laughs> when my son falls down and he scrapes up his knee and he's crying, I say, stop crying. Shake it off. Take it off. It's going to be okay. We're not going to sit around and wallow all day because we scraped our knee. Scraping your knee is part of life. Let it hurt for a second and we're going to move on. You know why some of your kids cry all day about it? Because you feed into it all day. Oh, did I get into parenting? I'm sorry. Got all from hope. But I don't just look at him and say, stop crying. Stop crying. It's going to be okay. Stop crying. You're going to live. Stop crying. You're going to have a cool story to tell. You were wrestling yourself on the trampoline and fell off the trampoline. That's a talent. Stop crying. Jesus tells this woman to stop crying. Don't miss this. Because he knows it's about to get better. There has to come along a time when people are just wallowing in the filth. And you've got to remind them it doesn't stay dark forever. The sun always comes up. The thing about going through a valley is eventually you start to go back uphill or it wouldn't be a valley. Sometimes you've got to come along and say enough is enough. Live in it or move on. Jesus comes along and he offers her hope. He's encouraging her. You're seeing him saying, stop crying. No, no, I look at it as him not saying, stop crying. I look at him saying, stop crying. It's a loving way. Stop crying. It's going to be okay. We live in a day and time where people just need hope. I'm stressed out about what's going on. I don't want to go out and breathe going to be okay have someone on facebook and i write that on their comments all the time all the time they're feeling anxiety they're feeling and i write breathe i'm not telling them that the way they feel is wrong i'm just saying breathe it's going to be okay you're going to get through this we're going to get through it together i'm here with you are you telling me i won't catch you? i can't promise you that but i can tell you that no matter what it's going to be okay because God's in control. And how foolish of us to think we're going to change God's plans anyway. God's in control. The world just needs hope. The world just needs encouragement. I had a private message with a buddy of mine the other day. He was on a rampage about the fact he has no income and he's lost. And everything he's feeling is valid. And when I stepped back and put myself in his shoes, I get it. He's scared to death how he's going to support his family. But I finally, after six weeks of him doing it nonstop, I said, dude, you need to stop. What? 
I said, it's going to be okay. And me and him started dialoguing back and forth. And by the end, we'd come up with a plan for him to turn his business into a different type of business. He messaged me this last week and said, man, I started doing that stuff and I'm already seeing results. Yeah. Because I loved him enough to put myself in his shoes. And I loved him enough to offer him hope. We need to encourage people during this time. We need to lift people up during this time. Not beat them down, not make fun of them. Just give them hope. People on both sides are wanting hope. The shut down America people are scared that they're going to get sick. The open up America people are scared they're going to lose everything. Guess what? They're both valid concerns. One's not more important than the other. You arrogant person who thinks yours is the only one that matters. They both matter. And we put ourselves in other shoes, then we can understand we need to offer this hope. Man, and if it's not this, there's some other thing else that's going to come along. I saw some Asian flying bug or something in Washington now killing people. It's like this big. I'd rather die of COVID than freaking bugs flying around killing me. That's going to be the next thing. Bugs are taking over. Maybe. We need hope. You think a face mask is bad? We've got to wear a whole suit to make sure the bug doesn't get us. <laughs> There's no area in my life that I have worked harder in than the area of encouragement. Because, man, I used to not be an encouraging person at all. That's something Christine rolled me about and rolled me about and rolled me about. But I can tell you, it's amazing just to encourage someone, to lift them up during this time. People are looking for hope. <laughs> if we spend more time being hope dealers, the world might stop looking for dope dealers. That's really cheesy, but I wrote it down and thought it was good Tuesday. We need some hope dealers and not dope dealers. They have no hope. Hope's a powerful thing. It's an amazing thing. So funny, our lives are a mess, and we look down at everybody else's life who's a mess. I think we look down at their life who's a mess because it makes us feel better about our life that's a mess. So he saw the woman. He gave the woman hope. And last and we're done. He showed the woman love by putting love into action. He showed the woman love by putting love into action. Then he went up, touched where they were carrying him on, and the bear stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. To me, this is where the rubber hits the road with love. We can put ourselves in that other person's shoes all day long. We can offer them hope. But if we're just doing it verbally and not doing it with our action, something's wrong. You've got to put love into action. In every sense of the word, love is a verb. It's a movement. It's an action. If you're not demonstrating your love, then it's nothing. My wife tells me all the time, show me you love me. Don't tell me. I know, but it's easy for me to text it. Okay. My wife likes to say, I don't really have love languages. She has love languages, it's deeds. You show my wife you love her, come home, clean the house up, empty the dishwasher, all the things that I do not do good. 
demonstrate it because love is an action. That's what's so powerful about the five love languages. If you've never done any study on the five love languages, you should. They're all action. Physical touch, words of affirmation, good deeds, gifts, quality time, whatever that person, your spouse is, whatever action it is. They're action. Love's an action. Jesus saw her. And he reached out and he did what he could do. Say, how do I put it into action? By doing what you can do. Not all of us have the ability to raise somebody from the dead. But we have the ability to do what we can do. And sometimes all we can do is encourage someone. Sometimes it's come along and saying, hey, man, do you need some financial assistance? Sometimes it's coming along and saying, hey, man, I got a job. I know you need a job. Sometimes it's coming along and saying, hey, man, I don't have a job. I don't have any money, but I'm pretty good at putting a plan together for your job. Can I help you in that way? Sometimes it's saying, man, hey, let's just go to dinner tonight. Hey, man, let's just get away. I don't know what it is, but you know how you'll know? When you see them, when you begin to offer them hope, then the action will become obvious to you. It could be something as simple, simple as, hey, I know you got a lot of anxiety right now and don't want to go out. I'm fixing to go to the store. Can I pick up anything for you? As much as you think it's ridiculous, they're not going to the store. doesn't matter. It's not about you. Hey, man, know you've been locked down with the kids. You're a single mom and you've had the kids 24-7 for six weeks. You can come over to our house and tie them up for a few days. Give yourself a break. I don't know what it is. But you know what it is. And love takes action. But you're never going to know the right action to take until you see the woman, until you offer them hope. There's power in that. When was the last time legitimately you showed love to a stranger? A stranger. It's easy to show love to people we know. It's easy to show love to people we care about. But just a stranger. I was at the store the other day, and I saw this guy, two people in front of me, and the cashier, she was an older lady, and she genuinely looked, I'm just going to be honest, she looked fearful to be there. I was in a hurry, and the freaking guy starts talking to her. And I catch myself getting on edge. How you doing? I'm doing okay. How you holding up? I'm okay. How's work been? I didn't want to come in, but man, my unemployment hasn't come in, and they gave me the opportunity to make some money, and I, I need to work, and man, I'm going to work. And I'm thinking, shut up! I need to get my hamburger buns. That man reaches in his pocket. I don't think anybody, he didn't make a big scene about it. I just happened to notice it because I'm watching irritated. He said, thank you for all you're doing. I know it's not much, but maybe this will help. He gave her $100. It was powerful. It was powerful. Then she's crying so hard, she can't check me out. It's amazing, though, watching that demonstration of love, I lost my edge all of a sudden. I just stood there and let her cry for a few minutes. Guy behind me came up. He started to get irritated because he didn't know what was going. I said, let her cry. What? I said, just give her a few minutes. 
He got out of line, walked away. Checked my stuff out, and I moved on. That whole interaction made me think of this story. We got to love completely. How would society be different right now if we simply loved? I genuinely have two people that go to this church that are mad, mad, have made no bones about it, have sent me messages in a very polite way that we're having church. Cool. I explained to every one of them why we're having church and answered their questions. One of them responded, man, I get it, sorry. We're not gonna be there for a while, but I understand it. One of them said, I don't care what you tell me, I'm still mad. Cool. Guess who I'm more receptive to right now? The one who showed me love, showed me grace. Her concerns are valid. I'm okay with her concerns. But she put herself in my shoes and said, I understand. Now, thank you for taking the time to explain. By her showing me love, it just knocked the edge off. Love's powerful. We've got to live passionately. We've got to love completely. You want to change our community? Let this small group of people go out and start demonstrating love. Because love is contagious. It's contagious. Jesus, why can't I talk? Jesus changed the world with 12 people. Imagine if this hundred went out. Surely to God we could change a city. But it's got to be people who are willing to live their dash. Let's pray.